Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's Tuesday, and we're here to start a brand new book with you guys. Not like a different book from the Bible. No. A book within the Bible. In the Bible. Yep. Not shooting to the Book of Mormon yet. No, the Book of Exodus. The Book of Exodus. And one commentator, commentary I was reading, commentator who was writing it, uh, made a good comment. He said, rather than looking at this as the title of uh, of the, the book, it's more helpful to look at this as a chapter in the book of the Pentateuch as a whole. Um, I, I don't like that. I don't, I, no, I'm good. No? It's a book. Yeah? I'm just going to call it a book. I'm not saying it's not a book, but here's his argument, okay? Before okay. you write it off completely. I'm ready. He says, one can begin to understand Exodus by thinking of it more as a chapter in the Pentateuch than a book in its own right. Exodus is not meant to be read in isolation from the surrounding material in the Pentateuch. Rather, it describes one stage of Israel's history that began with creation in Genesis 1 and ends with the Israelites poised on the borders of Canaan at the end of Deuteronomy. Well, yeah, I would concede the point that it's a collection. The Pentateuch, we call it the Pentateuch because there are five books that are right. meant to be read together. I would concede that. But to call it a chapter, that's a long, that's a big chapter. Yeah, it that's is a big, big chapter. chapter. No, no, thank you. <laughs> that's fair. If you're like, okay, you're just reading one chapter tonight. It's yeah, great. Right. One chapter of the Bible, yeah. just Exodus. Yeah, and that's that's not his heart. His heart there is to say, hey, look, we need to pay attention to the context. Like this is continuing the story. Sure. And I think we can get into. I appreciate that. You know, when we, especially later on in the Old Testament, we read these books that jump around so much. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this chronologically, because this year you're not going to be doing that as much. You're going to be right. reading it in, uh, in, in concert with the events that, that took place there. But that's sometimes exciting. like last year, as we were wrapping up, we would read one prophet that was in the 700s BC yeah, and another yeah. one that was a lot later. I'm so and, excited for this one here. Yeah. We're already in it, but this yeah. book does move the timeline forward. That's important to mention because yep. there are some books that don't do that. Right. Within the Pentateuch, we're going to, we're going to encounter, uh, one of them, uh, Genesis. Yeah. We're going to encounter one of them that doesn't do that, but this one does move the timeline forward for us. It does. In in fact, it moves it forward almost 400 years or just about 400 Yikes. years. Uh, that's the time of, of Israelite captivity, and uh, and so we we jump right in, and I, I, let's jump right in because there's some background uh, issues that we need to touch on with regards yes, to Exodus. Um, number one, I mean, the book is named for the main event of the book, which is the Exodus, the the escape, the exit from Egypt, and so uh, we need to deal with that. There, as far as when did it take place, when was the Exodus. What's the date? Well, there's two views. The, the first view, uh, which I, I believe is the incorrect view, is is a, an early date, which is 1290. 1290 BC. Ooh. Or would that be a late date? I, I always get those confused in the Old Testament. Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, 1290. Anyways, they would say Ramses II was the pharaoh uh, of the Exodus. And then the, the second is the, the view that we would embrace, that is that the Exodus took place in the 15th century. So uh, 1446, 1445 BC, uh, with Amenhotep II as the ruling pharaoh. And you. there's reason. Yeah, thank you. There's reason for that. One reason for that coming from First Kings chapter six, verse one. First Kings chapter six, verse one. In case you don't have it memorized anymore from Awana, let me re- remind you of it. it. Says in the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign, so those two things are, are joined together. 480 years was the fourth year of Solomon's reign. 
in the month of Ziv, Solomon began, began to build the house of the Lord, the, the, the temple that is. Well, we know when the fourth year of Solomon's reign was. We've got historical evidence of this, and that is 966 BC. So 966 BC, you go back 480 years from 966 BC, and you end up at... Uh-oh. 1446 BC. That's easy enough. So the Bible internally is saying, hey, we, we think this is when it took place. Uh, another reason why, Judges 1126, another biblical uh, argument here, Judges 1126 says during Jephthah's time, now Jephthah was one of uh, one of the judges, you remember Jephthah's tragic vow, perhaps, if not, then we'll, we'll get there eventually, but Jephthah's time was about 1100 BC. Again, we can trace that. We know that, right? Israel had been in the land, it says in the text, for 300 years. Add to that the 40 years of wandering before they got into the land, and you're back at 1440, 1446 in that general time frame. So uh, that's why we adhere to the 15th century date because of our view of scripture. Uh, But there's other things that lend credence to it as well. Amenhotep II being the pharaoh is one of them. Uh, Amenhotep II, his successor to the throne was actually Tutmos the fourth. Now, Tutmos the fourth was not the firstborn of Amenhotep the second. Okay. Why would Amenhotep the second's firstborn not be the successor to the throne, if not for the plague of the firstborn mm-hmm. that we read about in Exodus? So there's external evidence to support the date of Exodus as well being 1446. So when we view it, when we're looking at it, when we're talking about it, we're landing on 1446 BC as the date of the Exodus. That's right. So rough and dirty then. We're looking at roughly uh, 2000 BC, the time of Abraham. Uh, 1445, 46 BC, you have the Exodus. 1000 BC, you have David. And then, of course, zero, zero BC, rough and dirty. We're talking about Jesus the Christ. Yep. So 2000 years of Israel's history, really in a nutshell. If you can remember those time markers, that'll help you as you work through the text itself. So 2000, Abraham, 1444, 45, 46 BC, uh, Exodus, 1000, David, zero, Jesus. 2023, Pastor Rod. That's right. Yeah. I mean, dude, 2000, <laughs> so 4000 years away from Abraham. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I can't conceive that number. We were talking before we hit record on this that uh, one of the arguments you'll hear against the historicity of the Exodus, and, and this is really a huge point. If you were with us last year on our DBR podcast, we kept talking about all the parallels of the Exodus that you find in the future of Israel's history from this point forward. Um, there are a lot of parallels, especially as you think about the the, the prophecies and, and God delivering his people out of exile. There's a lot of uh, of calling back to Exodus language there in the future. And so this is a, a linchpin in the history of Israel is the historicity of this event. And there are people that that will will throw stones at it because they they want to reject it. They don't believe it. One of the things that they'll point out is, is that there is scant evidence of Israel's presence in Egypt at all. Um, one book that I was reading recently points to the fact that there's some evidence of it being uh, of Israel's presence there in around the 5th, 6th century BC, uh, but but we don't find evidence of the Exodus anywhere in Egypt, and so we were kicking Crazy. the idea about around about that. And, and PR, what are your thoughts on on some of the whys behind that? So one of the best things that I've heard about this is, is really simple. Egypt would have no no motivation whatsoever to preserve this time in their history. I mean, just think about it. we're going to go to the ten plagues, and I think it's a, it's a right suggestion that each of the 10 plagues really attacks one of the Egyptian gods. Yep. And so God humiliates the nation. He humiliates Pharaoh. He, he kills their firstborn. I mean, it's just, it's, it's something that they would have every reason not to preserve. And of course, Israel walks out of this on top, and they have every reason to preserve it. They want to keep this and, and 
in memoriam forever. And so the Egyptians don't really have a, a reason to do this. So to scrub this time of history from their recollection serves their purposes of maintaining their prestige, their glory. I mean, just think of it, the, the Egyptians are a pretty cool people. I mean, aside from what they were doing and the, the false worship, right. get the pyramids and, and the cool tombs that they've made and all this great stuff that they, they'd invented. They don't want to show these uglier parts. So they rightly scrub it. Not rightly, perhaps, but they they scrub it. They don't want people to know about it. Right. Yeah. In fact, if you go to Egypt today, a lot of what you will see there, and and for instance, we in Washington, D.C., the Washington Monument is an obelisk, which we borrowed and, and took from the Egyptian culture. Stole from them. Um, and it's those that are set up and everything that was inscribed on those were records of their victories. They, they, they were erected for victories. They, <laughs> they never put one up for an L. They never, <laughs> well, let us this is when Israel totally ruined us. This is when we got whipped. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, that's valid. Uh, by the way, I've mentioned the, the site before, but on YouTube Expedition Bible, they have a, a video called the Exodus Pharaoh Explained. The Exodus Pharaoh Explained. It's about 22 minutes in length. It's worth your time listening and, uh, and, and watching in concert with our study of the book of Exodus as he really gets into uh, more of the support behind Amenhotep II as well. So would commend that uh, that book to, or that that video to you on YouTube Expedition Bible. Speaking of book, you were talking to us about a book that you were reading that was talking about some of these things. Can you recommend that as well? Would yeah. you recommend that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, let me pull it up. The the title of it. It's the history of the Nile. Um, I need to look on Amazon to see if I can grab it history because I can't the remember Nile. the the title of it uh, per se. It's not called the history of the Nile. I don't think so. Although maybe it is. Uh, it is called the Nile. <laughs> there oh. it is. The Nile traveling downriver through Egypt's past and present. So, um, it's it's uh, it's not a, a, a Christian book. It's not written by a Christian author. It's a, it's a, a history uh, account of the significance of the Nile River. So, if that piques your interest, if, if that's of your ilk, then uh, then it's it's worth a read. It's it is fascinating. There's a lot of really interesting things in it about uh, how significant the Nile River is to the culture, the people, the tradition there, and uh, it does help us understand some of their culture as well. How many pages is that thing? Uh, I, off the top of my head, I think it's around 200, 250. Okay. No, so I don't know. That might be too much of a commitment. Yeah, it, it's fair. That's fair. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it though. Well, let's get into Exodus then. Exodus chapter one. Uh, the stage is, is set here in this first chapter of Exodus. Exodus one, one, uh, begins with actually in, in the Hebrew, it begins with the word and, uh, which is interesting to go back to, again, this concept that there's continuity here. And you'll notice it's not translated there in your ESV text as and. It just says these are the names of the sons of Israel. But in the the Hebrew text, it's and these are the names of the sons of Israel. And it's just reminding us that this is part of a bigger story than just what we read here. It's not to be taken in isolation. Uh, And then even more than that, when you get into 1-1, this is by and large almost a direct quotation of Genesis 46 verse 8. Um, it's, it's again, similar language Abraham, or Moses rather <laughs> wrote uh, both uh, Exodus 1.1 and Genesis 46.8. And so you see some repetition there. Exodus 1.5 repeats the number 70. Remember, we talked about that in our last podcast, that there were 70 there in Egypt. And that harkens back to Genesis 46.27, where that number is found again as the number 70. Uh, Exodus 1.7 then, note this, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. What do you think I'm going to talk about here? This is again going back to the Abrahamic covenant. God is being faithful to his people and faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham. He's multiplying the population. In fact, so much so that uh, this new Pharaoh on the scene uh, shows up and, and he's pretty afraid of uh, of the people of Israel. And so this new Pharaoh is not Amenhotep. Let's, uh, so we need to, to bear that in mind. This is not the same guy that 
Moses is going to appear before later on. This is a different Pharaoh. This is most likely either Amenhotep the first uh, or uh, Tutmos the first. And so this is a, a Pharaoh that comes on the scene, but he, he doesn't know it says Joseph. And that's interesting. Um, he doesn't know the figurehead here. And, uh, and Israel's gone, Jacob's gone. And remember, Reuben had really dropped the ball. Joseph is, is kind of the figurehead. He's the one that represents Israel here. And, and that's significant in and, of, in and of its own right there, I suppose. But uh, this no, new Pharaoh shows up, doesn't know him, and he is afraid of the people. So he begins to treat them harshly, to afflict them, it says in verse 11, which means to be caused to be wretched, to be hunched over is even in the language there. So you can see in that language that, and this is a physically oppressive labor that he is is uh, directing at them and treats them ruthlessly, verses 13 through 14, severely, harshly. So, um yeah, they, these these store cities that they build in verse 11 uh, were meant for the military. They were to hold grain and other supplies. And so he wants to take them from being a threat and actually turn them into something that's going to support their militaristic endeavors even. And so uh, Pharaoh's a bad dude to the point that he even says, okay, we need to, to control the population and tells the midwives there, hey, you need to stop uh, helping these women. And, and when they do give birth, you need to, to kill these these babies. And uh, the midwives do something interesting here. PR, they, they deceive Pharaoh and God commends them for it. So what do we do with that? Wow. Okay. I'm glad you asked because I was going to ask you. So, okay. Well then, so ha. let's, I <laughs> got you first. So, okay. A couple quick notes before we jump into this. Uh, no, notice I, no. they're Hebrew just, midwives. I need an answer right now. They're Hebrew midwives. Now you could say they're, they're midwives to the Hebrews, or you could say they're actually midwives who are Hebrews right. who are dealing with the, with the, with the Hebrews themselves. And I lean on the fact that they are Hebrew ethnicity. I, okay. I, I think that because their names uh, are, they're, they're, not, they're not Egyptian names. So I think they're probably Hebrew midwives. That's my guess anyway. So Shifra and Pua, which by the way, notice here, they're given names. Yep. The Pharaoh, we were just lamenting this before the podcast. We don't have the Pharaoh's name in, in the notes. Like there's not, a, it doesn't say Amenhotep II or Amenhotep I. They don't have that. Right. So the fact that he goes out of his way, Moses, to name them gives a sense of honor to them. Okay, so they deceive, and they, they tell the Pharaoh, okay, the Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptians. They're just cranking them out before we can even get there. Uh, therefore, we're not able to do what you ask. So God dealt well with them. Okay, notice verse 21. I think this is the answer to our question. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So I think what's happening here is that God is not commending their deception as much as he's commending their faith. Mm. Are they, they're, they're tied together. Make no mistake. Those two things are really they're un- unmistakably tied, but I think that's different enough that God is commending their faith falter faulting faltering rather that it is. It's still saying, look, you guys honored me by not submitting to Pharaoh's leadership in this decision. Right. It's the situation of, of, you know, Corey Ten Boom hiding the Jews. It's the situation of the lesser the, evil, right. Trying the, to do good. And that requires me to do bad in this particular area. Right. The underground church in China is subverting. Right. And, and, because God has, has said when we're commanded to do something that goes against him, then we need to choose obedience to him over submission in that regard. Right. And I think that, so we, we talked about this before with the COVID restrictions and the lockdowns. Right. God calls us to submit to our government unless and until they call us to do something that is not, by God's definition, good. Right. So if they call us to sin, we're going to say no. If they call us to murder our neighbors, we're going to say no. We're not going to do that. Our violation of the governing order at that point would be righteousness for us and not evil, just like it is for the Hebrew midwives. Yep. Yeah. Well, we get into uh, chapter two with that stage being set for us. And one of these babies that's going to be born during this time where Pharaoh wants the babies killed is this baby Moses. 
And uh, the notice his parents are Levites. And so Moses is going to, to be a forerunner of the priestly line. Wow. And that's uh, going to be a, be a role that he's going to play essentially between God and the, the Israelites as well as he's a mediator between them as, as the Exodus unfolds. Uh, but uh, this baby's born and the, the mom can't hide him any longer, takes him, puts him in a basket. Here's something also interesting. The word for basket there, it only appears one other time in the Old Testament. And it's the same word that's used in the flood account for the ark. And so this uh, is an ark of oh, sorts yeah, that, uh, that Moses is placed into and placed into the Nile River. <laughs> one, uh, one commentary I was reading said, well, she obeyed Pharaoh. She, she put her baby in she the Nile. She did. She followed to a T. Yeah. Which but, I think is, again, commendable. But she, she obeyed. It's yeah. an act of, it's, yeah, it's shrewd. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Notice verse two, it says that she saw that he was a fine child. What in the world does that mean? Well, Acts 7, 20. When Steve, yeah. Stephen is uh, un, uh, unpacking this, says that he was beautiful in the sight of God, uh, which is interesting. Hebrews eleven twenty three. as Moses' parents are being commended for their faith, they saw that the child was beautiful. It's a word that means good, pleasing, joyous. Um, something more simp- more than a, a simple mother's attraction to her child. Yeah, I think that's there. But I also think that this is just she delighted in this child. Perhaps there was something about, you know how some babies are just like, they're a ball of joy and they're just like, oh man, they, they, there are some babies that just win your heart immediately. Yep. It's like, I, I love you and I can't explain it. Like I'll take a bullet for you right now kind of thing. I wonder yeah. if Moses just had that, you know, God, God favored him and that was demonstrated in his person, yep. even as a young baby. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. In fact, even earlier, I guess last week at this point, as you're listening to this, Shirley came by the office, baby Shirley, and she was staring at us with just an open mouth. Like, who are you guys? And why are, why am I here? I think I actually got a smile out of her. You guys weren't paying attention. I was talking to her in my office and she she and I were, we were connecting. But she's pretty cute. She's pretty cute. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, Moses is hidden in Pharaoh's daughter again. Who, which, which daughter? Who is this? I don't know. There's a lot of people who think this was Hatshepsut and uh, or Hatshepsut and uh, God bless me. Yes. Um, yeah. But we don't know. We don't know who this is particularly. But the point is, this is God putting Moses in Pharaoh's household, and that's what happens in verses four through ten. Uh, the 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 Pharaoh's daughter comes out, finds the child, uh, has this agreement again. God's kindness. Uh, let's point that out again here in allowing uh, Moses' mother to care for him uh, even longer than she was planning on by Crazy. Uh, by his sister being there to say, hey, let me go get a nurse for you. And so Miriam, who's unnamed at this point, Miriam jumps in to go and protect Moses. Right. Crazy. Right. And then she's like, oh, yeah, go go get, go get find me someone to nurse her. Oh, I know somebody. <laughs> yeah, right. Nurse him, rather. Right. Crazy what right. God is doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we fast forward and Moses has grown up now and uh, Moses is out there and he is around the, uh, the people and he goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating. And now notice the text. He went out to his people. So even though Moses has been in the household of God, uh, he is very much aware of the fact that he is an, an Israelite, that he is not one of the Egyptians. And so he, uh, he is definitely here wanting to, to continue to identify with his people. And that's, that's what he does. In the text, it says that he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Um, the, the word that's used there for killed, uh, when, when it says he looked this way and that when he struck down, or the, or the word that's used for struck down, is a, is a word that means he hit, he struck, he beat. And uh, it, the idea is that the Egyptian was beating the Israelite and Moses beat the, beat the Egyptian. Back, so yeah, it's, huh? it's not necessarily that, Right. And it's not necessarily that he was intending perhaps to kill the Egyptian. 
as much as deliver the the Israelite from the the affliction that he was suffering. I see where you're going with this because it's the same word that's yeah. used for both what the Egyptian was doing to the Israelite and what the what Moses did to the the Egyptian there. But he did. He killed him. And then he ends up concealing him. So clearly Moses understands that what he did was wrong and it was not going to be received well by the people of, of Egypt. But it's also not received well by his own people, by the, the Israelites, because he goes out later and two Israelites are fighting and he goes to stop them. And they say, what, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And now Moses knows things are, are, are bad. They're not yeah, good. He's in trouble. And uh, it's interesting because God is going to then send Moses to Midian through the events. And Midian was the middle of nowhere. So Moses literally goes from the prince of Pharaoh's household. And he goes out into the, the wilderness to become a shepherd. And a lot of people have drawn the, the parallel there. And I think it's a, a helpful one that, that Moses wasn't ready to be the deliverer at this point. He, he goes to deliver his, his fellow Israelite from the Egyptian by, by striking the other Egyptian. And, and that wasn't the way that God was going to deliver his people. And so Moses needed this time away. And so God takes him out and puts him in the pastures with Jethro, his father-in-law. And uh, the sheep, and he spends 40 years he's going to spend in Midian tending his father's flock or his father-in-law's flock and, and also being prepared to go back and work the deliverance that God wanted him to work. That's important. You just said that, and I don't want to pass by that too quickly. Verse 11, when we see this when we see this, uh, this episode, he's, he's 40. Yeah. There's been a long time that's transpired. So there's a, little, there's a little white space in my Bible, but not that much. But 40 years have elapsed. He's 40. now a grown man when this takes place. And then he's going to be exiled to the desert of Midian for 40 more years Yep. until God has him fully baked. And hopefully you're seeing some parallels to Joseph here. Moses wasn't ready to be delivered. Moses wasn't ready to do a lot of things until God had time to work on him. Again, let's just make the observation. It takes time for God to work on people. Yep. We have to be patient with ourselves and with others. If we're going to realize the kind of beauty and glory that God has prepared for all of us, it's just going to take time. Yeah. Yeah, it will. It will. Well, as we keep going there in chapter two, uh, Moses ends up in Midian. He uh, delivers. Notice the language here in verse 17. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. And then in verse 19, uh, the daughters go back to Jethro and say, or Ruel, but more commonly Jethro. And they say, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. And so here we see again, Moses, the deliverer, this time of the daughters. He receives one of those daughters from Jethro as his wife, and that's going to be Zipporah. And she will play a role later on. Uh, and she gives birth to a son called Gertrude there. And so there is, uh, is where Moses gets to Midian. Meanwhile, in, in, Israel, in Egypt, God is paying attention to the groaning, the, remember the affliction being hunched over the suffering of the people. And God is, is listening and paying attention to those things. And, uh, we get in then chapter three, verse one, cause remember again, 40 years now, 40 years of this affliction going on. So chapter three, verse one, God is ready. And, uh, in believes Moses is ready. And so he appears in the burning bush and, uh, and Moses sees the bush as on fire. It's the angel of the Lord there. And he uh, goes to draw near and God says, Hey, hold on, take off your shoes for the place that you're approaching is holy ground. That's going to be a common theme in the book of Exodus that, that we can't approach God flippantly. And that's something that we need to remember too. church is, is when we come to worship God, we are worshiping the same God who was the burning bush. We are worshiping the same God that came, comes down on Mount Sinai. So we need to be careful and not overly casual or flippant about how we come in and worship him ourselves. And so uh, God tells Moses quite a few things, including his covenant name here in verse 14, when Moses says, hey, okay, you want me to go and, and, and free the people of, of Israel and tell them it's time to go? Who am I going to say is, is sending me? 
And God says, tell them I am who I am. In other words, tell them Yahweh, his covenant name. And this, from this point forward, becomes the predominant name that God will use to refer to himself when it comes to his relationship with his people. And so he says, go tell them that's who it is. And there's covenant reminders there too when he says, I'm the God of, of Abraham and Isaac and, and your forefathers there. So uh, there is so much here in chapter three. I wish we had more time to, to, to touch on it. But Pastor Rod, some thoughts on it. I just want to recall the great hymnal classic called Hero by Mariah Carey. (laughs) There's a hero. If you look inside your heart, you don't have to be afraid of what you are. There's an answer. If you reach into your soul and the sorrow that you know will melt away, Pastor PJ. I need a mute button. (laughs) Let's just be clear here. Moses is not the hero of the story. God is. And we're just going to start out because if you saw the Prince of Egypt, it was a really well done cartoon. I enjoyed it. But she's totally, they're singing about Moses being the hero. Right. Moses is not the hero. God is the hero. He uses imperfect Moses. And we're going to see a lot of his foibles and flaws. But just as you prepare to read that, know that God's the hero of the story, as he is for every story that we tell in the Bible. Yep. Yeah, good word. Verse 18, one uh, thing that, that I noticed unique this time, notice here that the elders were originally the ones that God was going to send to Pharaoh. It wasn't going to be Moses. Moses was going to go talk to the elders. They were then going to go to the king of Egypt and, and say, hey, we need to, to get out of here. So that's that's an interesting note there. But notice verse 19 too is the foreshadowing. I know that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so we're going to see as that unfolds mm. throughout the, the next few chapters here. But yeah. keep reading your Bibles. And uh, hopefully you're enjoying a brand new book with us as we study the book of Exodus. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.